week eight might have been the best of the season so far. Some incredible individual performances. Teams like the Vikings, who are achieving above expectation, continue to win. Still be the Vikings. The Giants run into the Geno Smith buzzsaw. A crazy ending to the Panthers and the Falcons game. And so much more, including new faces in new places like Christian McCaffrey. Here we go. Hayden Winks. John Daigle. Let's kick it off with one of those. CMC. And the San Francisco 49ers improved to four and four with a 31 to 14 victory over the Los Angeles Rams. Hayden, Jimmy Garoppolo, a cool 21 of 25. And Chris McCaffrey goes for a passing score, a rushing score and a receiving score. It's you can see the chemistry that they're going to have in this offense. And some of those negative plays from Jimmy G where he's standing in the pocket and throws a ball over the middle, instead of having to hit those throws over the middle. Now those are option routes to Christian McCaffrey. Now those are screens to Christian McCaffrey. And you're kind of removing some of the negative plays from, from Jimmy G, at least in this game, there were screens earlier on setting up uh big runs. He had obviously that pass touchdown to Brandon Ayuk on trick trickeration. He becomes the 11th player in NFL history, fourth player since 1970 to have a passing, rushing, and receiving touchdown back to RB1 overall in Fantasyland. First overall player, in my opinion, as well, if I was doing rest of season rankings. And on top of that, it was just a statement win for the 49ers. If you're looking at the stadium, of course, it's all red at the Rams. And this is a coming off the uh, bye week for the Rams. Didn't show up on offense. Cooper Cup leaves with an injury late in the game. And you just start looking, man, they have no money moving forward. We have the Aaron Donald retirement talks already going into, into last uh, offseason. And then they have only two picks inside the top 150. So these they're going in opposite directions here. And I, I would say that the 49ers are among the best teams in the NFC. You can't go on by and return with 3.7 yards per play against a division opponent as you're trying to scratch and claw your way back. No one is coming through the door. You know it's the end whenever Jalen Ramsey, other defenders, are doing nothing but arguing with one another on the sideline because there were multiple defensive breakdowns again after your bye. What a disaster for Los Angeles. This is such a performance that's a deodorant for the 49ers season and where it could have gone. You know, they opened two and two obviously having to turn from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo, but then, you know, two straight losses in this game to the Falcons and the Chiefs, very different styles of losses. But here, when you're getting healthier pieces back, like Trent Williams, you're able to inject such a talent like Christian McCaffrey into this team. It gives me so much hope. And Hayden, I think on some level, I'm not going to say we're seeing a new Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think we're seeing Jimmy play with a ton of confidence. Right now, it feels a little bit different than in the past where you inevitably think that a mistake is coming that could derail the small margins that the 49ers were dealing with. On one level, I think that like Chris McCaffrey widens those margins and gives you another big play threat on top of the ones that they were you know, already having on this roster. Um, even without Debo Samuel, you get Jimmy 21 of 25 for 235 and two scores. Sure, he took three sacks. Sure, there were like two throws in the middle of the first or second quarter that you wanted to have back. But other than that, as someone who's pessimistic about Jimmy in his past, I love watching him over these last few weeks. Yeah, a couple of those passes to Christian McCaffrey were like second, third uh, progression reads. Looking at 95th percentile EPA per play, 96th percentile completion percentage over expected for Jimmy G. So you throw in all these playmakers. This was a game without Debo Samuel. Like all of a sudden, like these EPA stats, I know that they're very fluky and everyone hates them because Jimmy G 
doesn't seem as good as what the stats always indicate, but we're going to, we're going to go on a run here with the 49ers and they are very dangerous in an NFC that is searching for any team other than the Eagles to step up. I would put them second. If I was just looking at Super Bowl odds and stuff in the NFC, this team you can tell is really about to take off. I mean, they get the chargers, the Cardinals, the saints and the dolphins coming up here. It's one of those defenses too, that if they have an offense to match it can get really dynamic once you get to the NFC playoffs. Um, talk to me about uh, the usage of what the 49ers showed in this game, right? Because it's 18 carries for Christian McCaffrey for 94 yards and a score, eight receptions for 55 yards on nine targets. And then obviously he had that passing touchdown too. Yeah, it was kind of the same offense that I was used to seeing with uh, the 49ers. Pretty run heavy, balanced, if not uh, screens, yards after catch. George Kittle got involved in some of these plays as well. Uh, Jimmy G threw a dime to the back corner of the end zone. Uh, some trickeration, but it was really just like a very balanced approach. It looked exactly like the peak of the 49ers offense. And then the Rams on defense, uh, Aaron Donald for the most part was neutralized. Uh, Jalen Ramsey wasn't that involved and it was just a huge win. Uh, the Rams right now, what happens? Van Jefferson gets in there. He's splitting snaps with Ben Skoranek for the most part. Uh, Allen Robinson had a good game for him. He has a taunting penalty that was super lame. That shouldn't have been called. That's like enough of the roughing the passer complaints. Like that's at least protecting players. Nobody wants these taunting penalties. We, that's the, the penalty that we should be complaining about. Tyler Higby, brutal drop, brutal, brutal fourth and two design pick play wide open. Uh, you can see Sean McVay on the sideline going absolutely nuts. Matthew Stafford didn't look all that great to me. He did scramble for a touchdown after a really long methodical drive that kept being um, upheld by some 49ers penalties. But I just don't see how this one gets fixed. You know, they, they, they can't run the ball at all. They got Ronnie Rivers going. He starts over Daryl Henderson. Uh, he's a smaller back. Malcolm Brown gets the first goal line carry. Daryl Henderson mixes in. You can't start any of these Rams running backs, um, especially with Kyron Williams coming back eventually. Zero points for the uh, Rams offense in the second half. Zero. They went through some dry spells last year, you know? It's like the last two Super Bowl champions that we've seen, their offense went through some rough patches. We talked about it last year, Hayden, where, you know, they flipped over to Sony Michelle was more of like the power style of running, lots of pass pro. Um, but how you're outlining this, and I think as Daigle said as well, there's no like key that they can turn here to really unlock it the rest of the way. Like this one is drastically different versus, you know, Odell coming into last season. The last year when they were going to those dry spells, it was because Stafford was getting super aggressive and throwing some yeah. bad interceptions. They're, they can't even get to that part yet. You know, these are just like sacks, third and longs, and just like punts. You know, there there is no semblance of a run game. Like when you guys watch, if you rewatch this game, when the Rams get down to the goal line early on in this game, they are not even trying to run the ball because they knew it was just going to get blown up. They try it one time and Fred Warner comes and basically decapitates the running back. They they don't have a short yardage game right now and they don't have enough explosive plays. And we'll see what happens about Cooper cups injury. But if that's a ankle sprain or something like that, I don't know how they're going to do anything because their entire game is like screens like Tyler Higby. Daryl Henderson still ends up out snapping Ronnie rivers in this one. Although as you mentioned, rivers was the one who got the start. Because Henderson is still their most explosive pass catching back for whatever that's worth. Uh, they need him on the field, honestly. It's just an absolute mess right now. Instant reactions. You know, it's that time, Hayden. Can the 49ers be the second best team in the NFC behind yes. the Philadelphia Eagles? 100%. I wouldn't be surprised if they upset them. I, I think this 49ers team is 
stacked. I mean, we, we call them the best defense in the league, and Jim, we've seen Jimmy G play well for long spurts of the season. I know he throws a couple of bad interceptions, but man, if Christian McCaffrey's the dump-off option, they can get the screen game going to George Kittle, Debo Samuel's like in that explosive role, and then Brandon Ayuk's running these deep routes. Like, I mean, as long as the right tackle holds up, it's it's go time. If you're watching us live, let us know in the comments. And if you're watching us after on Sunday night or Monday morning, let us know who you think is the second best team in the NFC. Okay, next one. Miami Dolphins stop their streak, go to five and three on the season with a 31 to 27 victory over the Detroit Lions, the spiraling Lions. I'm just looking at the box score. I have not watched a single moment truly of this game yet, Daigle. I see 29 of 36 for Tua for 382 yards and three touchdowns with once again, this funneled between them 20 receptions between Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle for two for, excuse me, a hundred, 294 yards. Yeah. 294 yards and two scores. Like I know it's the lions, but Holy shit. That's incredible. Tyreek and Waddle have now combined for 1,688 receiving yards on the season, which sets the Super Bowl era record for two teammates through the first eight games this year. We knew we needed pushback in this game, but the moment Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift were both cleared, Swift who did practice and fold throughout the week, we thought, okay, that's the same Lions offense that in the first month of the season led the league in yards for play and averaged 33 points a game and are back home indoors against a Dolphins defense that has allowed 35 points per game on the road. We have the cocktail here for a nuclear blowup. And what happened was the Lions came out fast-paced and delivering, scored on all five of their first half possessions, took a 21-7 lead at one point, had a double-digit lead in the second half. And then, of course, because of the Lions, the wheels fall off. The Dolphins keep on coming back, not stopped whatsoever. Both teams averaged over seven yards per play in the end, but really it came down to the Lions scoring zero points in the second half, whereas the Dolphins kept on responding. And at the end of the day, that's what happened. Uh, we knew also that Aaron Glenn coming into this one had run the third highest rate of man coverage in the league. Tyreek Hill, of course, over four yards per route run against man coverage this year. And it looked like that. Lots of crossing routes, lots of design concepts you would expect to both Tyreek and Waddle, who continue to get the job done, as you can see on the passing chart, simply over the middle of the field and turning up. Yes. Look at this. Yes. I mean, I understand it might not be as beautiful when you go back and watch it because if Tyreek or if Jalen Waddle have to work back to the football, but these green dots are green dots here. They are completions. And what Tua had five, four completions of 20 plus yards, including a touchdown. I cannot wait to go back through this game because it's not just funneled through the middle of the field. Like we've seen it in the past. Some of these are outside the hashes, outside the numbers, intermediate down the field. I mean, he's been living in that 10 to 19 yard range all season. It's where the dolphins offense has crushed opponents I know we can put a caveat on there that it's the Lions, but this gives me so much, not just hope, but excitement to once again see this offense that we saw in the, what, first two weeks of the season before those multiple two ahead injuries. Because that was one of the most fun parts, Hayden, of the of the season so far was watching that Dolphins offense cook. Yeah, just speed and scheme. I saw a pair of dots uh, from Next Gen Stats, and it was Waddle and Tyreek both lined up on the slot on the left side. And it looks like they're bracketing Tyreek Hill, but Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill kind of do like a little rub route. Both are being bracketed. Now you see the other safety, and the other safety just can't keep up with Jalen Waddle. There's too much speed, too much scheme. All these passes I see to thrown from Tua are wide-ass open. It's only the same two guys. They're trying to bracket both of them, and it's still not going to work. Oh, I'm trying to find these dots for you. Here it is. 
I mean, it's just like, it's such beautiful design. Like we fall in love with these designs, right? And Mike McDaniel, when you go just across the league, it can be so tough for these other organizations to get the football into their best players' hands. And he routinely makes it easy. I mean, look, taking the coverage of Jeff Okuda and 31 and leaving on the underneath pattern, Jalen Waddle create that like natural separation. It's beautiful. Okay, Daigle, talk to me also about Raheem Mostert, who continues to dominate this backfield in a matchup that, you know, is supposed to be the best we could see from him all season long. They obviously win. They've obviously been working in negative game script, but it's 14 carries for 64 yards. And slightly banged up, literally on his first carry of the game, had to come off for a possession or two, and then was sprinkled in from that point forward. Still outsnapped Chase Edmonds 44-16 at the end of the day. So still an overwhelming share for Mostert, but no explosive plays really. And that's what we thought we were going to get from him in this game. They even got Savan Ahmed involved for the first time all year, I think, in the third quarter for a couple plays. But Still, Mostert, RB3 moving forward. Uh, nothing really to scare you off of his usage in this game, even though the big plays weren't there. Before we go to the other side, just I want to show how much of a nightmare it must be to cover Tyreek Hill. Like these are routes, but then they don't turn into routes. And then after the catch, he just turns on a dot and gets up the field. I mean, this is like spaghetti falling onto the table, and that's the route tree, the target tree that he gets. Four games of, of 150 yards this year. Yeah, he's like on pace for like 2,000. I mean, that's crazy. Okay. Dare I say Jared Goff outplayed my expectations because what I thought could happen was what happened to Jared Goff a few years ago against this Miami Dolphins defense, where he just literally didn't look like a a, a quarterback talking about him. I'm on Ross St. Brown. And obviously we get Deandre Swift back in our lives here. The first half again, is really where Jared Goff stood out. Lots of play action in this one, and Goff was great. And we've seen with talent at full health, the Lions have enough elite players that they elevate him. And again, that happened. Could have had a couple more touchdowns as well, except those two passes that ended up inside the five-yard line. Of course, when you're in that range, those go to Jamal Williams on the ground instead. So Williams also got there in this game. But overall, I I think actually – they could have helped him out a little more. We had a Monroe drop at one point, uh, a couple other miscues here from the Lions offense. But yes, it was just a game where you kind of expected golf in the Lions offense to have success, uh, especially against Miami's blitzing and man coverage schemes. Hayden, how difficult it is to reset expectations for the rest of the way from everyone in the Lions because, you know, they opened spicy, feisty, whatever you want to say. We got two top 10 backs in DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. It felt like Amon Ross St. Brown could be there as a you know top 12 wide receiver the rest of the way. Again, we latch onto those even more so than where we drafted players, but it feels like that's almost unattainable with this version of the lines that we're getting now. I still feel good about Amon Ross St. Brown as a like PPR wide receiver one, maybe like on the wide receiver one, two border because then another 10 targets here. Um, and just like we said, the Lions defense is just so bad that they're always just going to be in these negative game scripts. And I think Jared Goff is right at that like Mendoza line where it's like anything beneath him is not good enough. But if you get the right pieces around him and the offensive line's just holding up just enough, um, but I think we're going to see some big, big, big plays out of this offense. Jamal Williams is still getting a lot of the goal line reps, and that's just the way it goes because Jamal Williams has been playing very well this season and frustrating as well. Because, sorry, I we've go ahead, Daigle. Finish your point. DeAndre Swift practiced <laughs> in full throughout the week 
and only played 55% of snaps. I was just going to say, odd. That's a big nugget. Just That's odd. That was worth it. That was worth it. Put the put the slate on it again and let's go. Yeah, reset. Thank you. Cardinals the Vikings improved to 6-1 and one with a 34-26 to 26 victory over the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, this was a game of runs, and it was so 2022 Vikings. Uh, let's open with what they did great early on. Kirk Cousins with a truly incredible 16-yard touchdown run on the ground for the third and four. Uh, ran away from defensive ends and defensive linemen. In a, we've seen Kirk Cousins play a bunch of football. Never seen a play like this before. And then Kevin O'Connor drew up an awesome red zone touchdown on like a tight end delay on third down to Johnny Munt. Unfortunately, not Irv Smith. So you think up 14 to three. Oh, this great Vikings team is going to cruise against the Arizona Cardinals because they are struggle city at the moment. Not so fast. They give up 14 straight points. The Cardinals get rolling from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Once again, that connection, it certainly, as everyone predicted, was not a one-week wonder. And we're going to see it for a very long time the rest of the season. Uh, on the tune of 12 receptions, 159 yards, and a score in this game. Diving touchdown to Zach Ertz again makes it. Uh, what 17 to 14 yes 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 then it flips back over to the vikings who then go on their own 14 point run thanks to a touchdown from alexander madison and dalvin cook think again 10 point lead game put away not so fast rondell moore has about 70 yards and a touchdown on his own the next drive on these like simple five-yard patterns that sits in the zone and then he takes it after the catch maybe one of the better rondell moore games that we've seen the game should be tight for the rest of the way. Then Greg Dortz muff, muffs a punt. And from there on out, Kyler Murray can't convert third downs and get sacked. Um, the Vikings like are so close to being there. Like These performances that you're getting from them in the first half, you think they're going to blow out opponents. And I don't know if it's a Kirk Cousins thing, even though I think he's playing decently well, a defense thing who looked like they were dominating the Cardinals at chances, or if it was just Kyler Murray on the other end making magic happen in certain situations and some bad tackling. Wherever the case, it's weird that the Vikings are 6-1 and one because everything comes down to one-score games, but it's only fitting that this was just another notch in their belt on the way to a really, really fun season for them. Did anything happen with Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen, any of those wide receivers? I know like we're searching for like a second option. Adam Thielen's been kind of popping like for the most part. It's like Kirk Cousins is good enough to keep Adam Thielen like alive and look wide receiver three land yeah first for jefferson only eight targets here because again kirk only attempted 36 passes um it was a great concept early on that basically isolated him with isaiah simmons and man-to-man coverage out of the slot uh jefferson did this the like shoulder lean at the top of his route to send the safety to the right side then ducked inside so it looked like he just had wide open space um adam thielen in like true passing situations did have conversions and did have some nice third downs, but um, did leave for a moment there, which what looked like a, a fairly serious injury, but he popped right back in. Um, and then KJ Osborne was the one who had the game-winning touchdown at the end on a beautiful dot from Kirk Cousins to the right sideline. So um, there's truly nothing to say like, hey, this player stood out, but Dalvin Cook getting 20 carries to Alexander Madison's five, yet Madison having, you know, that one opportunity inside of the 10-yard line uh, does allow both to score touchdowns here. This has been, like, the easiest. I remember working at Roto World last year, like, one or two years ago. Like, this offense has been so much the same. It's just the same players over and over again. It's, like, very hard to, like, talk about this team with, like, anything new to say. The Vikings play the same game still every single week, except they win close games now. That's the only difference. Uh, Kyler was like really up and down, which does not surprise you. 
Uh, there was a moment where they're only down by, I believe, three point, yeah, 28 to 23, down by five. It was third and eight inside of the 20 yard line. And so you think, okay, if they score a touchdown, they go up 30 to 28 with just a few minutes left in this game. And he just receives a snap quicker than he wanted to. And so it's a fumble. You fall on it, then you have to kick a field goal. You know, like every single time, other than that Raiders game early on the season when like the Cardinals are on the cusp of, hey, this is going to be a comeback. We're uniting as a team. They just fall short. The offensive line was totally overwhelmed at points because they're missing so many starters. But what we can continue to put at the top of the board each week is Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Everything was attached to the left side, but it was left wide and in the slot. And he looks so good, Nuke does right now, including a one-hand stab touchdown uh, with about a minute left in the first half. And you touched on it at the beginning, but 14 and 13 targets now in back-to-back games for Hopkins since he came back. Also, it's created a large sample because Zach Ertz, since he got traded to Arizona, six full games with Hopkins, averaging four and a half targets now. But in 13 games without Hopkins, eight and a half targets. Only five targets for Ertz. Yeah, the big difference right now for, for the Cardinals is they're using more two wide receiver sets. Like Rondell Moore plays... Uh, all but one snap in this game. But A.J. Green's nowhere near full-time player. Robbie Anderson's not getting involved. Trey McBride's out there. He's really struggling right now, Trey McBride is. Um, so we'll see how much longer this holds up. But it is much easier to earn a target when you are only one of two wide receivers in the route, and especially when the other wide receiver in the route is Rondell Moore, a very limited player. So this is going to be an offense that completely goes through DeAndre Hopkins. I think I'm going to have to have some conversations. Might have to sneak him into the top five in fantasy rankings, uh, at least until Marquise Brown gets back. And I'll keep saying the same thing. Like they're trying to get Robbie Anderson involved because there's no verticality to this team at all. And what you see are those shots along the right sideline, which were like double covered to Robbie Anderson. Like no one's um, being confused when Robbie's out there, like what the route is going to be. And something to watch, like Rondale was dominating zone coverage from the slot, just finding little soft spaces, turning quickly, making people miss and getting up the field. Again, I think like 70 of his 89 yards were on that one single drive basically. Um, so if if we do get zone coverage teams moving forward, Rondale is a very, very intriguing option there. Okay. Next up, let's go to, uh, where should we go? Where should we go? Steelers and Eagles? Someone have this game? Give it to me because what we saw was a dominant, dominant win for the Philadelphia Eagles, who in a season where teams struggle with proving that they're good week in and week out. The Philadelphia Eagles might stand on top and certainly do at the NFC at 7-0, winning this game 35-13. to There's been a couple of incredible Tyreek Hill games this year. I would put that A.J. Brown game from this week among the best I've seen from a wide receiver this year. There were post routes where he's mossing defenders. They were running a lot of uh, kind of go routes from the perimeter. Uh, A.J. Brown did, did have a couple of those classic in breaking routes with yards after the catch. But the big wrinkle here was just go balls on the perimeter and Jalen Hurts letting him rip, dropping the buckets. A.J. Brown deserved every taunting penalty that he got from this game. He was he was exceptional, and that's basically the entire game. This game was over immediately because the Steelers, it was very clear they were not going to move the ball on a very good Eagles defense. So very complete team. Uh, Jalen Hurts looked as promised late in the game. Miles Sanders sneaks in to save his fantasy day as well but right now this is just a very complete team short turnaround so no surprise that they benched everyone with roughly 10 minutes remaining in the game you know me hayden since what week 
two, I had been a little bit nervous that those deep passes had left us from Jalen Hurts. Uh, sorry, week three, because in week two and week three, it was 9.1 and 11.8 average depth of throw. In the last three weeks, it was 6.2, 3.5, and 4.7. You could talk both ends of it, right? Where, okay, the offense is working. Jalen doesn't have to be hitting these vertically because we're winning these games. And at the same time, a bunch of offensive line issues, injuries, and weather was all factored in those three games. Maybe this is the answer. Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary isn't nearly as beat up as it was early on. And I just, bad. it's still bad, but the Eagles are going to be a great team, a good team, no matter what, if it was just the shorter passing with the yak and the rushing the football and then playing really good defense. But I think they become maybe the best team in the league other than the Buffalo bills. If Jalen Ertz also has these options down the field and they're hitting big gains consistently like they were in this one. Yeah, if they're, if they're a very serious Super Bowl team, you have to compete with the Chiefs and the Bills and have some of these explosive plays. I do want to make one note that some of the Eagles are doing and it's kind of being flown under the radar is they came out opening to pass the ball here. I don't have their neutral pass rates in front of me, but it was a very pass-heavy game plan here. And on top of that aggressiveness, there was also a sequence early on in the game. It was, uh, they're at the 49-yard line. It was a third and nine. Their play call was a tight end scream to Dallas Goddard. Typically not a, a played design that you see, but I know what they were doing here was they knew that they were going to be playing for that fourth down. They get to a fourth and two. The next play, uh, I, I believe it was an RPO pass to Dallas Goddard, picks it up. Two plays later, that's that huge A.J. Brown touchdown. So if they don't go for it and uh, play for that fourth down uh, two plays in a row, these long bombs don't happen. This is what kind of gets lost in some of these like uh, Brandon Staley debates and stuff is you don't see the first the first quarter one because no one's watching this game but they're as aggressive as aggressive as any team in the league right now and it's absolutely beautiful to watch Steelers also now one in ten without TJ Watt going back to Ooh. last year Ooh. talk to me about Kenny Pickett uh rough rough performance in terms of the matchup um because you know his performance is completely connected to the likes of George Pickens which Dagon a lot of people had in their lineups this weekend for DFS too yeah, I mean, for the Steelers, it was the worst Kenny Pickett game uh, of the season. Not a surprise. They were projected for 16 points, a very good defense. Uh, what happened here was Deontay Johnson was really struggling against physicality, and there was so much miscommunication. The Eagles were stunting uh, on defense, and the Steelers' offensive line couldn't pick it up. The Steelers might as well not even try to run the ball. It is one of the most pathetic ground games there were there was a, a one pass a little dump off to Najee Harris on like third and two and instead of like just barreling through a defender he kind of does these dance moves and just doesn't pick it up everything looks bad the post-game conference uh by from Najee Harris and Kenny Pickett was even worse than the game plans all of them are talk, basically calling out each other for not studying enough how disorganized it, there it is there's penalties the they can't even do like they, they try to do so many like ground ground game concepts none of them work and they don't have the the skill guys to make it up because like Deontay if you go watch this game just getting thrown to the ground a bunch of times from these Eagles cornerbacks so bad game all around I think that there's starting to be a little bit more noise on the Matt Canada stuff because it's completely disorganized the most consistent option remains Pat Fryermuth, too has now played three full games with Kenny Pickett and has averaged eight targets in those three games the only cool play was 
that fourth down conversion by Chase Claypool on that jet sweep and he's left-handed. I didn't know he was left-handed and throws it to Zach Gentry for a touchdown. Um, yeah, the the piece that Najee said of and Kenny Pickett said of some of the people on our offense are not studying enough. Yeah, uh, that was Kenny Pickett. <laughs> he he just said that they're not studying enough. Najee Harris says we lack a lot of discipline, accountability. We lack it a lot. And then, yeah, Pickett says, I don't think we study enough as a group. Something's got to change. It's insane to keep doing the same thing over and over and expect something different. That is absurd. Yeah, real bad. Dallas Cowboys 49, Chicago Bears 29. Daigle, your Cowboys improved to 6-2 and two on the season. This might be the most complete Dak Prescott performance that we see, but that's going to be completely overshadowed by Tony Pollard finally being freed. So for you speaking for the entire fantasy community, detail his performance. First off, unbiased. Second off, Tony Pollard, as we know, more explosive than Zeke. Not surprising whatsoever. Also not surprising that, of course, after this game, Jerry Jones comes out and says, we go as Zeke goes. And I fully expect... (laughs) Oh, good. It's so I love the bet. Uh, and I fully expect Zeke to, again, lead the team in touches whenever he's ready to go. But at least this performance gives them a little more confidence, even though we knew it behind the scenes, gives the organization more confidence to give Zeke more time since they do have their bye coming up after this next game. But overall, Pollard, only 14 carries you see, but to still average over nine yards per carry because of explosives here. The Cowboys as a whole average 7.8 yards per play converted 82% of the third downs and scored on 100% of their trips to the red zone. They actually had 13 plays of 10 plus yards in this one as Pollard again was an absolute monster. The touchdown reel, you're seeing the dots on the screen right now, but you need to find the touchdown clip on Twitter of about how many people, three or four Pollard made miss in order to clinch that game with this 54 yard touchdown run. Also important because Malik Davis only had four carries up until the point where Pollard put them up 35-23 with that touchdown run. Then four of Davis's eight carries came after that touchdown run. So really it was all Pollard until the game was put out of hand in the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Should they go back to Zeke? It doesn't matter what I think. They will. Good answer. I love that answer because we can, shout, we can shout at the mirror. We can yell at our walls. And in the end, it truly does not matter because – Zeke Elliott is going to lead this backfield um, probably the next time that he's healthy. What what they should do is go the Detroit Lions route, make uh, Tony Pollard, DeAndre Swift, where get Zeke at the goal line if you have to, make Zeke like the pass protection bro, but do all the fun stuff with Tony Pollard. That's how they should do this. I'm with you guys. I don't think it's going to change as much. I think it's going to get tighter and tighter. We, we Like this year, he's playing a little bit more than he did last year, but I'm not sure if we'll ever see a flipping. I did, did want to note, I see Michael Gallup became a full-time player for the first time this season. Obviously, that comes with the context that Noah Brown was out. He'll come back probably after the bye week, but we were just needed that to feel confident to make him a wide receiver three flex, depending on the matchup. I think we've arrived. Also, a bad throw. You never got the sense the Cowboys were going to lose this one because it really came down to the Bears had no chance of stopping them. The Bears moved the ball. Um, and five of Justin Fields' eight runs were designed. They continued that up. But really, it came down to, even though the Bears were methodically moving the chains and scoring, they had no shot at stopping Dallas today. And that's really what the game boiled down to. But overall, yeah, Tony Pollard, as you mentioned, he became the first Cowboys running back to rush for 100 yards and three touchdowns since Julius Jones did so in 2004. Julius Jones, who was 
playing football whenever Hayden was in the womb. Never heard of him. You don't know Julius Jones? I think he's joking. Oh, maybe he's no, not. No, he's being serious. Oh. Next question. That felt like that was seven years ago, Julius Jones. Notre Dame running back? No. Thomas Jones's brother? Oh, a Bush push loser, apparently. Thomas Jones's brother? You know Thomas Jones? No. No chance. What? I get paid I get paid for stuff today, folks. <laughs> today. I predict things. Um, okay, since we talked about the frustrating backfield on one end with Tony Pollard and Zeke, which will continue. What about the Khalil Herbert, David Montgomery dynamic? Because people always want to know that because it has slightly changed over the last few weeks. No touch for Herbert in the first quarter. And so how can you get a hot hand whenever you're not giving an opportunity for a hot hand? But at the same time, Khalil Herbert ends up out carrying David Montgomery for the first time all year in a game that they were fully healthy together. And now we've seen him set season highs and back-to-back games with share of backfield touches. Had not gone over 33%, before the past two games has been over 40% in back-to-back contests. So I, I don't know if it's a hot hand truly, but I know it's a timeshare. And so this timeshare is what you're going to get. And what that did was take away Montgomery's touch base ceiling because he was the one who was benefiting. And it made Khalil Herbert a weekly RB2 if he performs well, but RB3 really because he's still an explosive player. It's now just a timeshare. It's on equal ground. And I think the biggest difference between them is one got 16, one got 15 carries, yet one had a 36-yard run for Cleo Herbert and one had a 10-yard run as his long carry, and that is Dave Montgomery. Last question, and I'm sure you already talked about this. I just missed it. Um, Did we see the same Justin Fields on-the-move designed runs that we've seen in previous weeks when they're finally understanding the type of talent and the areas where he wins at quarterback? Five of his eight carries were design runs, and – the most important note is that his touchdown run was a design run um, inside the five-yard line where they cleared out blockers for him. So we did see it, but again, by the time they looked up, it was game over after Justin Fields threw a interception in the second half. Yeah, my last note for the, for the Bears is it seems like they're going to trade Roquan Smith, one of the best young linebackers in the league, but possibly, I mean, this is just like what the, the rumors have been, and they already just traded their best edge rusher so that a bears defense that used to be pretty good there's second half of the season that could turn to one of the bad ones that could even increase a couple more design run scrambles from justin field so i think trend is trending up in, in better matchups uh to be like a low-end quarterback one new england patriots beat the new york jets in new jersey 22 to 17 and really the core of this is zach wilson blows his chance we'll get to that in a moment because actually in the first half he had some incredible throws. Um, there was a nice conversion, I believe, to Tyler Conklin on the left side, where he's avoiding a pass rush, rolls to his left, squares his shoulders, hits him. Also an out and up from Garrett Wilson out of the slot. That is a huge 54-yard gain. Um, I do want to focus on about 10-3 Jets, 30-yard line, 40 seconds to go in the first half. Um, Mac throws a pick six, one of the worst throws you will see this entire season, yet it is called all the way back because John Franklin Myers, uh, unnecessarily roughs Mac Jones. Now Jets fans in your life will say that this was the turning point in this game, that the refs stole this contest from them. I would say to shake them and say, no, your second year quarterback throwing three interceptions and melting down under pressure is the core and the real reason why you should be worried, not just from this game, but moving forward. In fact, when you got to halftime at 10 to six, I thought that this one could get away from the Patriots. They just looked slower without Kyle Duggar on defense. They had no answers offensively. 
They ran the ball after that quote unquote pick six twice instead of trying to score a touchdown. But after half, Ramondre Stevenson really gets rumbling, has an awesome 35 yard carry when he stopped at the line of scrimmage and breaks through. And then Mac and this passing game start going back into that quick game approach that we saw from last season. And from there, they take a lead. And these two interceptions that Zach Wilson had went down 19 to 10 with 2.30 left in the third quarter and about 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter were totally pointless and were on the exact same plays where Zach Wilson, instead of throwing the football away, living for the next down, tries to create something out of nothing and just were complete meaningless and pointless throws that he has to get away from. And we're at this point where he should be getting away from those and he's not. And again, this should be the foundation of concern moving forward as jet supporters, because it's so clear why this team hasn't trusted him with opening the passing offense in neutral game scripts in previous weeks. Those were still wins because of today's performance. They cannot trust him in neutral and they cannot trust him in positive and that's a concern if you're a legit contender, which the Jets record indicated that they were. I think there's a chance that they bench him if this keeps up relatively soon. If, if they were trying to make the the playoffs, and yeah, I I just don't see a franchise quarterback here. So I, I don't know if they if they're gonna make wait to make a move later. Um, yeah, it's I don't think it's gonna be him. If they bench him though, what's interesting is that Sala noted Mike White was active today because he's the new number two over Joe Flacco. So. I know it was ugly at times, but at least with Joe Flacco, they could move the ball through the air. So we wouldn't even be getting that. We'd be getting um, our hands up in the air with Mike White. And I thought the tag of what Robert Sala said on that comment was fascinating because he said that Mike White is a young guy and we need to see something from him if the opportunity presents itself. Like, you don't really say that unless there is like a real chance to me that he is going to play eventually. And I don't want to jump to that case. Like I, because something has to go completely wrong. It has to bottom out for Zach Wilson to not play. And this was close to one of those performances. You know, we all have read the passing under pressure rates that he's had this season. And he's well last in the league today. There was a, a, a time frame where he was one of seven with two interceptions when pressured. And he entered at completing 18% of his passes when pressured. Um, all of his interceptions were off his back foot or outside of structure. There was another play inside of his own end zone where he just continued to hold it for two or three extra seconds. And it just is not necessary stuff. And Hey, we always talk about this. It's what Zach Wilson did at BYU because they were throwing highways to work inside of structure and then outside of structure. He threw it up to his big pass catchers down the field and allowed them to win contested. And that's just not working in the NFL. It just can't work in the NFL. And so he hasn't taken a step to transition to a trustable quarterback. And it's really that simple. Like it is that simple when you think about it. Yeah. He was playing ITT tech in college and all of a sudden just not working in the next two games against the bills. And then on the road against these exact Patriots. That's why I think that there is like legit benching, risk here and i think it would be for the white guy not joe flacco uh elijah moore doesn't get any playing time uh none like it, like what he was wide receiver five he had about only only snaps. james robinson only james robinson ran fewer routes than him on the team robinson who of course joined the team six days ago and he was asked elijah moore about his relationship with zach wilson and he says i don't know i don't get the ball which was like <laughs> pure chef kiss comment right. these pressers today were unbelievable that we it got it was good stuff
Uh, Conklin encouragingly over 70% route participation in back-to-back games now. C.A.G. Ozoma did stunt him for a little bit there, but it does seem like he's back in our lives as like a fringe tight end one. And a lot of Garrett Wilson's production was very early on. I think he had 70 receiving yards in the first quarter. One of those was on a little pop pass that he took. Um, but then Robert Sala saying that Elijah Moore didn't play because they wanted to get Garrett Wilson on the field. That undersells that Denzel Mims and Braxton Berrios were playing well ahead of, of Elijah Moore. I know people want to know about this backfield too. Um, the core of it is you can't run on the Patriots. Like that's how they stop you, right? They just bulky bodies up front that take up a lot of gaps. So it's seven carries for 26 yards for Michael Carter, five carries for 17 yards for James Robinson up. They did, they did try to run that pony personnel between the two and, and Michael Carter was the one that was getting the football, but again, no explosives, nothing like that. And that's just where the Patriots defense is going to shine. The other aspect of this is the Jets special teams has been incredible all year long, and the Jets special teams was awful in this game. They had a 22-yard punt. They had a really bad kick return. They had a missed field goal, and they had a huge punt return. Rather than pinning back the Patriots, they were able to convert all the way to their 25-yard line. So it's just a lot of stuff. Like, I don't feel better about the Patriots watching this game, to be honest with you. Like, Mac is still playing incredibly worse than he did last year. Awful first half of football. And the only way that like they can really be carried here is when Ramondre is making incredible plays like that 35 yarder. I want you all to go find it. And then he made a lot of people miss at the next level, the second level, the third with seven receptions for 72 yards. He was the entire offense. It felt like yeah, it looks like his a dot. It was only at 4.7 and going into this game it was like close to like 10. So like, I think that they needed to make that change because like the Mac Jones deep, deep stuff was just super hit and miss. But I did see that one play. I believe it was a fourth and two and it might've been an RPO or a little design rollout to the left. And he had Hunter Henry wide ass open. And instead he tries to get Jacoby Myers to kind of bail out and do a scramble stuff. Like the second Mac Jones is saying like, we're doing scramble stuff. The play is, is, is no good. And last year he was hitting that throw to Hunter Henry underneath and just moving on. We're not seeing that same consistency from him. This is like, Basically, I haven't seen this version of Mac Jones my entire life. That is another wrinkle to this game where Bill Belichick was very aggressive on fourth down. They only went for it five times heading into this game and converted one of those. Uh, they went for it twice here, uh, failed on that first one, as you mentioned, because he was I think he was just focusing too much on Jacoby Myers instead of hitting what was open to Hunter Henry. And the next one they did convert again, Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry on the same side and converting a touchdown there. But you know, Bill always takes the points, didn't take the points here and went for for seven instead of the six points you could have had. Or Roger Stevenson's season high eight targets. Also very sexy. Yeah. I mean, Damien was getting involved early on. I think Damien even got the start in this game. But as soon as Ramondre started hitting these big plays, you felt like a real shift. And it's what gave the Patriots offense life. It really was. So I'm not advocating for like an 80-20 split between these two, because I think Damien Harris is still one of the more underappreciated players. But when you need juice, when you need a big play, and now especially if Max are not going to be testing down the field, then uh, then Ramondre is that guy. He's that guy. Okay, let's go up next. Let's go to some debuts. Hayden. Sam Ellinger against the Washington Commanders. Big comeback victory for Washington, but I want to more focus on what the Sam Ellinger dude did in his first start because it certainly sounds like in a 17-16 to 16 loss, 17 to 23, 201, that uh, this will probably be the quarterback we see for the rest of the season for Indianapolis. Yeah, he played fine. Like he, it's kind of as advertised. He didn't pass the ball all that well. Now, Michael Pittman at the end of the game did have a brutal drop for him, but most of Sam Ellinger's production was 
pretty schemed up. Like there's like a Paris Campbell play underneath that was like a 40 or 40 plus yard pickup. Um, he can run around a little bit, but he's just not, you can just tell he's like not that great of an athlete. So I think that this offense will be quite limited. Obviously they don't have as much pass attempts as they were, which is to be expected here. Um, but I, I thought he looked fine. Like, I don't think that he's going to get benched. It seems like they're going to try to roll with the punches here. It was actually probably the perfect game plan for the Colts to lose. Uh, I, I do kind of believe that they're playing for the future here and that a loss isn't such a bad thing for this forward thinking organization. And then Taylor Heineke at the end of this uh, had a couple big plays. Uh, most of them broken plays to Terry McLaurin where uh, Terry McLaurin had to moss a guy to, to get a win. So it was two quarterbacks, very limited quarterbacks, but it was a, fun enough game to watch among like an obviously bad NFL game. This is at least watchable. 54 plays for the Colts is a massive change. Uh, established the runs. Pat Thorman noted that the last two weeks in leading the league in no huddle rate, not a single no huddle snap for the Colts today. They're literally just playing a different system. Now that Matt Ryan's out behind that offensive line. I know this is a huge question, but after one game, is there a clear area where Sam Ellinger wins or that he's good? Or is he kind of just like your typical backup quarterback with some mobility that like is a little bit of a gamer? You know what I mean? I, I think he is very similar to Taylor Heineke. Like you're going to get some of the big plays. You can get a scramble thing, but like he's not like anywhere near like an actual like designed quarterback ru rusher. He's like quite frankly, probably too small to do that uh, on the Colts. end. Jonathan Taylor has a setback with his ankle injury, he kind of runs or rips off a semi chunk plane and then goes to the sideline. They're really wrapping up that ankle. He's back on the field. Um, but like, for example, like Naeem Hines gets a goal line carry and pony personnel for a touchdown later in the game. And he just didn't look fully explosive. Like he doesn't have, he just haven't been ripping off these huge chunk gains like he was last year. I think part of that is just probably his ankle injury bugging him, the offensive line, not playing as well. And then like, the offense just in general feels super tight just because they haven't had enough playmakers to kind of take the top off. Yeah, Daigle, yes. I, I know you weren't able to watch this game, but I do want to talk about John Taylor because he was the 101 in many instances. And we just look at the people drafted after him. I know we're eight weeks in already, but it's CMC hitting, Justin Jefferson hitting, Cooper Cup hitting, Jamar Chase injured but hitting, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Stephon Diggs, Dalvin Cook. Like, John Taylor is by far and away the biggest disappointment and – like I keep putting him in lineups because I think it is going to work eventually and so on and so forth. But like, it just hasn't, it just has all, all the peripherals say so as well. I know a lot of people have questions. Do I sell him low? Do I buy him low? Like, what do we do with Jonathan Taylor? The issue is in, in five full games. Now we are not including last week since remember he played 55% of snaps and being limited coming back from injury, but in five full games, he's still handling over 70% of their backfield touches still played on third downs over Naheem Hines still ran more routes than Naheem Hines, even in being banged up today. So overall it's actually the peripherals you want, but the results and we're now nearly halfway through the season. So like it's time to make these decisions. The results have not been there. I hold personally, uh, maybe even dabble and see what I can get. Even though I do understand it is a different offense with Sam Ellinger. Yeah, that's, that was I mean, the main point is if they go from 70 plays to 55 plays, I mean, like that is just so much play volume down the drain. Um, I've been ranking him as like the RB 10 ish, you know, every week. I think that's where I'm going to start keeping him at unless we get like more limited practices. I think I would call this a setback with his ankle. So this could be a couple more weeks where we're really grinding through and then maybe at the end of the season he goes off. But at that point, the Colts could be looking at completely uh, NFL draft bound. So I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to get that much better for JT. I think it'll be fine. So a couple highlights of Terry McLaurin being awesome. Just quickly in Washington before we move off of here, Hayden. Um, 
Brian Robinson, eight carries for 20 yards. Antonio Gibson, seven carries for 19 yards. It's just a rushing game we shouldn't care about. Yes, Antonio Gibson played a whole lot more in this game. Um, I believe actually even drew the start over Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson just doesn't have any speed. Like it really just comes down to that. And l- like we mentioned last week, Antonio Gibson was playing on some of the passing down situations. He's still playing the special team stuff, but he's playing over like JD McKissick. And I think he looks just more explosive. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just go back to Antonio Gibson for good here, just because Brian Robinson hasn't really done all that much except just like falling forward into the end zone the McLaurin play you mentioned at the end of the game where he mossed an individual to put them in position to win the game will get all the credit but we now have back-to-back games where he's averaged 25 percent of the team's targets when he had only been seen 20 percent of the team's targets in one game from Carson Wentz you know he has to hype himself up in the locker room every time he's playing with Taylor Heineke because he's like I gotta go into battle I'm gonna be hit on every single one of these targets it's exactly what happened last year. He came down with a ton of contested catches, and then he's doing the exact same thing already with Taylor Heineke. It's it's pretty shocking and pretty cool. It shows also, how good Terry is. Also, Hayden, uh, season-high 39% target share for Michael Pittman in this one. Is that something to be excited about, or are we really depending on volume yeah. now to get Pittman by? I think what happens when there's a lot of play volume, a lot of pass volume, the, the target shares kind of like flatten out because it's just like impossible to like keep a 35% target share on like 40 dropbacks. But as like the, the there's less pass attempts, more of them were going to Michael Pittman. I, I think he'll be fine. I'm, I'm really worried about like Paris Campbell as a streamer. Like all those types I think are completely diminished here. Uh, I have the, the, the snap count. It was only 15 snaps for Brian Robinson. Only ran a route on three of 39 dropbacks. I'm not sure if I call him droppable. I think in a really shallow league, he's droppable. You can't start him like unless you're in bye week hell, which I think we are entering. I think six teams on bye next week. Love it. Love the six teams on the bye week. The Raiders dropped to this. two and five. I mean, the Raiders dropped to two and five, losing to the New Orleans Saints 24 to zero. What the fuck? Okay. First of all, let's go to the positives. Regression hit for Alvin Kamara in a big way. 62 yards rushing with a touchdown. 96 yards receiving. Two scores. Talk us through it, Daigle, because that scoreline, beautiful. Three consecutive games now with at least nine targets for Alvin Kamara, who has become the focal point of the offense as Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas were egregiously not put on IR and just continued lingering in limbo. We have no idea when they'll be back, but that's what they're doing now. The Saints are honing in on Kamara. And... When you watch his touchdowns in particular, he was doing really well, but also it's an analogy of the Raiders today because missed tackles everywhere. Uh, Kamara gliding past multiple shed shed tackles as well um, on basically every single one of his touchdowns today. So I don't know what to take away outside of Kamara's good uh, because the Raiders overall just didn't show up. What an absolute disaster. Under four yards per play for this team. Uh, They didn't cross midfield until two minutes remaining in the game. Devontae Adams didn't have his first catch until 14 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. It's just like it was the epitome of a no-show in this one. This is one of the most pitiful passing charts we have seen all season long from Derek Carr. And he was under duress, to be fair. And that's a team that, remember, the Saints are league low pressure rate this year. And so the fact that the Raiders could not create anything, uh, it was a disaster, an absolute disaster today. 
I'm guessing that they bracketed Devontae and then no one else was able to do anything. That's what I'm I also about. wonder. I wonder how much of it was that flu going around their locker room uh, that like five to 10 players came into this game with. Is this a season long flu? Because the Raiders just freaking suck all season long. You know, well, like, I can't help that. They, they have beaten the Texans and then they've beaten the Broncos. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's been decent teams they've lost to in the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Titans, the Chiefs, and now the Saints. But the season's over. For the Raiders, like it really is, and there were so there was so much optimism heading into this year, and even after Week One, when we saw so many targets funneled in the direction of Devontae Adams, that's like, oh, this is going to be a really special connection. But you bring a play caller from Josh McDaniels to be the head coach, and you think it's just going to work, right? Getting shut out here just shows that it doesn't work. Uh, Josh Jacobs has been incredible this year, and then gets shut out here. Like I. It's frustrating because I was expecting Derek Carr to take an even bigger step than the one he's taken over the last few years. And it seems like massive regression. And I'm not sure if I or if anyone else has like the real answer as to why. Uh, but I would love to know the answer because a huge step back for Derek Carr uh, is, is sad. It's sad as a convert. As a convert, it's sad. Well, I mean, going into this game, they were averaging 27 points. Like, so it, this was an egregious game. I can't wait to watch it. I don't know what the hell happened here. This was, it seemed like as bad as it gets. But they, I mean, this offense was scoring some points going into this game. They have no. But wasn't that Josh Jacobs? That was Josh Jacobs. I wouldn't say yeah. that's Derek Carr. No, I, I, I think Derek Carr has definitely played worse than he did last year for sure. There is, there's no life in this game. Uh, you don't need to watch the Raiders' possessions. Nothing special happens. The Saints uh, Saints allowed 33 points per game the past month, and the Raiders got shut out by them. Shut out. It's absurd. I, I do want to say Alvin Kamara's got to be the luckiest player in fantasy right now. Not only do you go from James to Andy Dalton, which is a win, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry uh, haven't played at all. And then this game, Mark Ingram gets hurt too. So a lot of his touchdowns were not coming from inside the five-yard line. It was not scoring many touchdowns in general. I saw a couple of carries out the goal line. So this is like elite RB1 status just because it's been the perfect run out for uh, AK. Lots of Taysom Hill as well, as we expect. Mm. Uh, Greg Rosenthal made an a interesting point. I thought that Andy Dalton is starting over Jameis Winston because he gets the ball to Avin Kamara. I think that really might be, it might be that simple. Um, okay, let's keep it rolling with, I think the best story, truly the best story of this season and it's Geno Smith becoming the coolest motherfucker in the league. Uh, 23 of 34. <laughs> I just want this show to be it. Uh, 23 of 34, 212, and two touchdowns for a 27-13 win over the then 6-1 and one Giants, who dropped now to 6-2. and two. And the Seattle Seahawks are 5-3. and three. Um, This game was really boring from the start. It was... You know, some a fumble by Tyler Lockett. It was some muff punts. It was some penalties. It was all bad until, you know, let's say 13-13 near midfield, about 10 minutes to go. And Geno Smith just takes it over. Five straight passing plays, five straight completions, 75 yards. They're running with pace. Not saying no huddle, but we're getting to the line because Geno's filled with juice. He hits DK Metcalf on this beautiful dart to the left sideline then hits Tyra Lockett on a double move to the right sideline all the way down the field for a score. And that's important because, you know, Gino was actually having a really good game despite not showing up on the scoreboard because of Tyra Lockett miscues. Like he dropped a touchdown that would have been a walk-in one earlier. He failed to get a two feet down for another touchdown also earlier. Um, as you can't keep him down for the entire game, I think is what it is. And 
these beautiful downfield passes are there every single week. And then what also brings to the table is what Kenneth Walker has, which is that one moment of magic. It was a stress to the outside, completely stop, then work it back to the left side by outrunning the defensive linemen that are chasing him. Uh, absolutely was not drawn up in that way, but that's what Kenneth Walker brings to the table is, is that mystique, that je ne sais quoi. And uh, he brought it here for 51 yards and a score. I love watching the Seahawks every single week. How did DK Metcalf look? Looking, yeah, he ran a route 29 to 41 dropbacks. I don't, I, I don't get it. I mean, he had three targets on their opening drive. It's like nothing ever even happened. You go from multi-week injury being carted off to being totally fine. They got Marquise Goodwin pinch hitting here or there every once in a while, but there was nothing in DK's game. And maybe someone knows this afterwards, but I didn't even look hobbled. I didn't see anything on his ankle or his knee or his foot. Just totally fine. He's a superhuman. Also good to see that Ken Walker with Travis Homer back. We were worried about Homer playing third down, perhaps stealing some shine from Walker on passing downs. Walker still ran the most routes among their running backs. As for the Giants, they've gotten to six and one by winning these one score games and really by maximizing their opponent's mistakes. Uh, today, they were the team that were making these mistakes. Uh, Richie James Muff, two punts, was carted off the field later on. Uh, they were able to get a short yardage touchdown um, because of that Tyler Lockett fumble near his own goal line. But there was a point where they had like 50 total yards for way too long because uh, the bootlegs and kind of the fun concepts that had been working on other opponents were not working here. Saquon did not have that huge, massive breakaway run. I think his longest carry went for 15 yards. His longest reception went for 12 yards. Uh, that's not to say that Daniel Jones played poorly. Like he had a third and 12 conversion, a third and 11 conversion, a third and nine conversion as well. But when you are the team that has, you know, lesser talent than the other one, and then you're the one that's also making these mistakes and then being sacked five times because you're losing multiple starting offensive linemen, you're going to lose here. So I'm not going to say this is the beginning of the end for the Giants, but this is a little bit of concern where if you're not playing pure in one score games, you're going to lose. And that's what happened today. There, there's not a good team, like despite the record. I mean, it's it's it's, it's as simple as that. They're uh, a great story, though. Like, I I love the story. But the rest of the way, great. I mean, it's the Texans and the Lions the next two weeks. Yeah, you know, they could be eight and two. They're fine. Uh, quick note: Fantasy Land, sixty nine percent snaps for Wandale Robinson in this offense. I'm just not sure if that's enough to like really move the needle outside of like deep PPR leagues. And I keep saying this. The thing with Wandale is he's a pure slot player who's going to live over the middle of the field, and he's not one of these vertical players or downfield alphas on the outside. Like, that's just not his game. So he can win in that intermediate or short area, but he just is who he is, so let's not overhype him in this offense. Yeah, yeah. Teams like when they throw the ball four yards downfield to the exactly. receivers. Exactly. Um, okay, should we go to Sunday uh, morning with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Denver Broncos? With the Broncos winning this game, 21 to 17, uh, Russell Wilson throws two interceptable passes on his first opening five plays, yet they come back and win here. And Dago, I would say it's because Trevor Lawrence continues to just be Trevor Lawrence here, where instead of throwing jabs and taking the big plays when they present themselves, uh, we can 
focus in on that one interception he had on what first down when it's not necessary to have same thing happening against the Houston Texans in a one score game loss. And that's how you lose to a Denver Broncos team, which still struggled offensively outside of one drive. And another Greg Rosenthal reference who put it best on Twitter this morning that far too often Trevor Lawrence, the ball does not go where he's aiming towards. And we saw that again, as you mentioned, inside the 10-yard line. The, the one time it can't happen, it happened for this offense. And that's to lose on the heels of a Travis Etienne true breakout performance with five of his carries went for 10-plus yards today. Absolutely insane. Um, but just to come away and not win with this one, yes, you do blame Trevor Lawrence for that one. I haven't seen it, but this has been a couple of games in a row. It's just like costly interceptions, man. Like, It's a diff, it's a tough conversation to have with Trevor because I think your bias is just like what the the end game is going to be, what your final conclusion is. Like, I think you can unbiasedly say that, hey, there are two to four throws per game that you want to take back from Trevor Lawrence. Guess what? If that wasn't in your evaluation of him coming out of Clemson, then it was a bad evaluation because that's exactly what he did there, too. I also know in-house, and this isn't an excuse, they are like tossing away all the experiences from last year with Urban Meyer. But at the same time, those are experiences that you should learn from where these exact scenarios pop up. I just don't know if he's ever going to get this out of his system per se. And with how the Jaguars are structured right now, where, again, to use this phrase, they lack juice other than Travis Etienne offensively. And so the margins of winning, if he has two or three bad plays, they're going to lose because now this defense isn't even playing that well. I know they only kept him to 21 points. But it's not the same thing as it was to start this year. And seeing those steps of from Trevor will, will go a long way. I am completely not in the camp that is questioning if he's a bust, though. But maybe that's, again, just my bias popping up. Do you think it's like fair to call him like Matthew Stafford? I'm hoping he turns into like Justin Herbert. But by this time in Justin Herbert's career, he was like already an MVP candidate. So like, I'm not sure if he could. Like, I don't think the, the odds are pretty low that he's going to get to that point. I'm hoping he can like be like Matthew Stafford. But he's so... He just misses too many. But I, like I, I think the Stafford comp is perfect because Stafford last year was throwing interceptions. And then he right. went on this pure streak where they can win a Super Bowl with him when you're surrounded by superstars at multiple positions and the best wide receiver season of all time that you have a hand in, you know, like even in this game, Evan Ingram is the leading wider or pass catcher with 55 yards. Christian Kirk gets 40 yards. Zay Jones gets 28. Like it was awesome. As Daigle said with Travis Etienne and how they're using him now. Because this is the first game that he, you know, eclipsed 16 touches. He even got 24 on the, the ground and three in the air. Way more, way more, right? But there's just not enough around him to help him in those moments to overcome it. At least from my seat. If if anyone thought he was a perfect prospect like Andrew Luck, I just think that that was bad marketing. Mm. I'm just happy. Hair. I'm just happy to see that Evan Ingram can score touchdowns. That's new. I didn't, I, I didn't know that was allowed. Uh, anything on Greg Dulcich? He had that one drive that he had like 60 yards, it felt like. And then, um, but where tight end is right now, Dulcich is definitely a name that should be on, on the top of people's brains. Another game with 12 points. Yeah, you're still definitely starting. Dulcich is a low end tight end one. Uh, I wonder what's happening if he's the one taking away from Cortland Sutton or if it's just been two rough matchups and spots for Sutton. I chalked it up to playing Sauce Gardner 
couple weeks ago, but now for Dolces to yet again explode, make that one, as you mentioned, one long 50-yard catch that keeps on putting him on the board and making him relevant, I don't know. So, yeah, his usage is good enough, continues to be, that you're still starting him. Yeah, Dolce, it's 32 of 35 uh, routes. So that's, that's, that's as good that's as right. it gets. Carolina Panthers lose, I'm not going to say in heartbreaking fashion, let's just say entertaining fashion, to the Atlanta Falcons, 37 to 34. I didn't get to watch this game in completion. What I did get to see was that end of game sequence where on the previous series, uh, fourth down, DJ Moore hits it off his helmet, goes incomplete. They get the football back. It's a 64-yard in-the-air rope from P.J. Walker to D.J. Moore with just a few seconds left to tie the game 34-34. to In celebration, D.J. Moore rips his helmet off, 15-yard penalty, makes the extra point a 48-yarder, which Eddie Pinheiro misses. I don't give a shit. Like, let the guy celebrate in this instance. It was a crazy play, and the throw that Patrick Mahomes says was the pass of the season. Um, Overall, very cool that this Panthers unit, time to reset opinions because DJ Moore goes six for 152. I know including that 62 yarder and a score, but Deontay Foreman goes 26 of 118 for three touchdowns himself. Man, it's a totally, it there's like, feels like there's some life in, in both of these teams after uh, a couple weeks ago. And then last week for the Falcons, it didn't seem like there was anything. Yeah. DJ Moore, the on off splits right now with Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson are keep getting stronger. Another 30% uh, target share for him. And then, Obviously, Jonta Foreman without Chuba Hubbard goes to the absolute moon. So I, I can't wait to watch this one. This one feel, felt like one of the, the craziest games of the year. It was DJ Moore, yes, that pushed Panero back. But then in overtime, that Marcus Mariona interception to then put the Panthers in the red zone to kick an easy field goal, that's the inexcusable one. That's the one that Panero has to make. And then, of course, the Falcons take advantage and go move down the field. Yeah, like... None of us are getting mad at DJ Moore for celebrating in that moment. Like, how can you not? Uh, if you are like, come on, it's entertainment at the end of the day. And that was just a sequence that we really haven't seen happen very often. Who, who's suffering again for, for, for these plays? Like who in the world is like the children, the children, the children, yes. the children. Um, Terrace Marshall also kind of emerging as an outside wide receiver for this team. Like he's getting a chance here without Robbie Anderson with nine targets, four receptions, 87 yards. I know PJ really struggled at the start of this one, but I want to go back and watch it. The Deontay stuff is fascinating to me. Like he's probably just flat out better than Chuba, even though they were splitting those times last week. And for him to step in after Chuba goes down, that's huge. Uh, on the Falcons end, uh, Cal Pitts gets 80 yards in a score. He had that delayed touchdown. Um, in this game yet he might have a game Hayden and then Drake London goes five targets for 31 yards yeah there's probably only going to be room for one of them to eat so the, the weekly floor is non-existent for them but uh bet on talent we'll see we'll see what happens and it was 28 attempts for Mariota so that's where that's like, huge it's that's where the volume yeah comes up uh that's his second most in the in any game this year and so you have to actually question if that'll be that'll sustain and I doubt it would since it was an overtime game Tennessee Titans beat the Houston Texans 17 This was 10. rough. They this improved to 5-2. So and two. This was the fourth straight game that Derrick Henry eclipsed 200 yards against the Houston Texans. That is one of the more bonkers things that we see in the NFL currently. 32 carries for 219 yards and two touchdowns. Dontrell Hilliard even adds 83 yards himself. And then Malik Willis, the winning quarterback here, 
six of 10 for 55 yards and an incompletion. You can say that. And it's also a buzzkill that only had 12 rushing yards himself. But what I will be keeping a keen eye on is maybe just his presence, his gravity of his athleticism. If that opened extra things up for Derrick Henry and Dontre Hilliard in the rushing game. But at the end of the day, this isn't a Sam Ellinger situation because Ryan Tannehill surely will come back once he heals from his illness. And anyone could have engineered this game for the <laughs> Titans under anyone. Uh, Derrick Henry forced 13 missed tackles, had seven runs of 10 plus yards. He comes off the field for breaks from time to time. Dontre Hillard comes on, has three runs of 10 plus yards. The Texans had no chance from the beginning. It was 17-3 for most of the game, and it never felt like at any point they were contending. They scored a garbage time touchdown with 17 seconds left, what makes it look like they had a chance. They did not. I just question what the Texans game plan was defensively, like uh, rookie quarterback, dual threat, uh, probably isn't an NFL starter. Nowhere, to be honest, probably nowhere even near NFL starter. And then they do exactly what we said they were going to do. I don't, I don't understand this. Well, especially when your head coach is also your defense coordinator and Lovey Smith. Like that's a, that's what, a rough what, situation to be what in. What are the Texans doing? Like this that, is, it's absurd. That's pretty bad. Okay. Let's close this out with Thursday night football. I haven't had a chance to watch this. So you guys are going to carry me during it. 27 to 22, the Ravens beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Which side should we start on with, with Baltimore? Um, with Lamar Jackson throwing two touchdowns, the big story, Isaiah likely steps in for, uh, Mark Andrews, but with it also being a Thursday night game, it kind of sounds positive that this isn't a serious injury for this year's tight end one or tight end two. Well, I, I see Lamar's 38 attempts, and after watching that game, it's really they had no choice but to do that because they lost Bateman, Andrews, and Gus Edwards all in the same game. So that's why it became jailbreak Lamar in this one. Uh, and who knows about Edwards? It was a short week. They were still leaning on him. So to get injured again, we'll have to see. But given the landscape of their backfield and who they have available, we might just be going back to Kenyon Drake. Yeah, this it's really too early to kind of game plan what we're going to do for the Ravens of fantasy just because it's so injury-based. I think it's going to be a running back rotation. Uh, Gus Edwards, that late um, game injury, it looked like a hamstring injury He on, on a big play. But um, yeah, it's just Lamar Jackson just like kind of carried this team by, by himself and the Bucs basically had uh, no life. Yeah, talk to me about the Bucs. Um, what is going on? Well, they can't run the ball, and that was another story here. Uh, they keep Leonard Fournette on the field. It's like, what, 60-30 split kind of between Rashad White and Leonard Fournette. But, like, the big difference to me is Tom Brady is, like, obviously doesn't want to take sacks. I understand that. Uh, they've been pretty hit and miss on the big plays. Some of it a fault of his. Some of it sometimes on Mike Evans. But to me, like, the, the part that I don't understand is, like, these underneath throws to Chris Godwin just haven't been hitting as hard as they were last year. He's like averaging like 6.3 yards per target or something. Typically, that's like nine. And like this last game, catches six of his 11 targets, but only for 75 yards. Uh, the red zone offense hasn't been as good, and they, everything just seems so dysfunctional. It seems like the players are starting to get on the coaching staff a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens. Tom Brady, a career-low touchdown rate right now happening. Uh, Leonard Fournette, Julio Jones, actually, that score in garbage time in the fourth quarter, that was the first time anyone outside of Leonard Fournette scored for this team since the fourth quarter of week four. He's scored every touchdown for this offense. And after the game, because Fournette didn't have a carry in the second half, uh, 
it was actually Morris that came out afterwards and said, not uh, Morris, Todd Bowles that came out afterwards and said, it's it's on me. Like we actually need to get Fournette going in the run game more. So I they expect don't. them, I expect them, an offense, by the way, that hasn't eclipsed 75 rushing yards as a team since week one in any game. I actually expect them to come out and lean on Fournette. And again, they cannot run the ball. Their offensive line is not fit to. It's weird like that they don't know who they are at this point. No like, idea. Yeah, we see games where they lean heavy into the running game. Then we see it 50-50. Then we see games like this where it's 44 attempts to 15 carries. Like, they just don't know. I think this is what happens, honestly, when everyone gets their way. Uh, I think they need Bruce Arians' voice to tell them, no, we do things my way. Like, I genuinely think they need someone to tell Brady no and to, to reel this thing back in that understands football. Otherwise, like, everyone's just kind of doing what they want, and right now it's a disaster. Are we in territory where... We wonder if the Bucs are even going to make the playoffs. Like, I know the Falcons and the NFC South are in first place, and the Bucs, other than the Saints, are like, that's the real competitors for that division. But you've lost five of your last six games. The only victory was a 21-15 to 15 win over the Atlanta Falcons. And now coming up, it's the Rams and the Seahawks and the Browns and the Saints and the 49ers and the Bengals. Like, yeah, it's for real. The, to me, their defense has been a pretty big problem, too. They lose Shaq Bear with the torn Achilles here. Devin White, they can't even basically play him. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they bench him. The secondary hasn't been as good. Remember, like, at one point, every single Bucks second second and third round pick in the secondary was going absolutely nuts. Uh, that has not been the case this year. The good news, though, they play the Rams at home next week. And if Cooper Cup can't play that game, it's going to be that, – that's a disgusting game. Just, like, the hopes versus where we're at, that's going to be something. Devin White has been the equivalent of J.C. Jackson in the front seven. He's just missed every single opportunity he's had in front of him. Which team has more rushing yards in that game? Bucks, oh, uh, but 18 to 12. 20. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for us. I think we've buzzed through all the games. Uh, if we missed one, I apologize. That's on me, but we didn't because we're professionals. Uh, you can check out Hayden's waiver column slash video with Sosa on Mondays. And then Daigle, give us the deets of all your awesome content on 444 and BetSperts. If you're listening to this either Sunday night or Monday, there is still time. We have a 75% off sale going on at 444 oh, let's go. through Halloween. So if you're listening to this again on your commute Monday morning, you have some time. That makes the DFS sub. 24 bucks like it's it's Ooh. so just don't go to starbucks for a few days you'll be just fine so 75 percent off through monday that's where an in-depth waiver wire column is that's where all my dfs stuff is shows behind the scenes everything is there no matter what sub you want 75 freaking percent off some might say scope the guac right pull that one back. An expensive guac but yeah okay god that was a callback to the good the battle days let's put it that way all right <laughs> Harsh. Got Josh off the rails. This is jailbreak Josh show. Uh chat, we appreciate you. Scampers, Dave, Ning Han, Lord, Robert. Uh, if you are tuning in for the first time you made it for an hour and fifteen minutes, leave a sub, thumbs up, up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon.